in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Worry is something that pagans do, and you shouldn't be like that. So, uh, to get into that text, we've spent the last few weeks talking about worry and fear. Uh, Admittedly, I struggle with this particular topic a lot more than I want to, and so my personal New Year's Eve resolution has been that I want to fear less. I want to worry less. I want to spend a whole lot less of my energy being consumed by fear and worry. Uh, I want to live more by faith. Okay, anyone else have too much worry and fear in their lives? Uh, anyone else think they could use a little bit more faith? Okay, a few of you at least. That's good. Um, so two weeks ago, uh, we talked about how one of our biggest fears is the fear of loss. Okay, we fear losing our family, our livelihood, our health, any number of other things in our lives that are precious to us. We know we can lose things. And so we looked at Scripture, and we looked at the promises of God, which tell us that no matter what we may lose in this life, the things that we can never lose are worth far more than even the things that we worry so much and fear losing. Okay, here's kind of our big takeaway from two weeks ago. Um, I want you to all at least pretend like you remember the things that I talked about from week to week. That is, that if we can learn to focus on the things that we can never lose, it helps our fear, right? We vaguely remember that. At least make me feel better and nod at me. Okay. Last week, uh, we talked about our fear of the future. Specifically, it's our fear of the unknown. You know, when we think about all the things that could go wrong, okay, and we're talking whether it's our planet, our country, or even in our personal lives, we know there's a lot of things that could go wrong, and it makes us pretty fearful. And in a similar way to week one, we talked about the promises that God gives us in Scripture, and we talked about all the things that we do know. Right? God has told us a lot of things that will happen. He's told us that the future is in his hands. Um, And the big takeaway from last week was, if we can learn how to focus on the things that we do know, instead of focusing so hard on the things that we don't know, it helps us with our fear. Does that sound familiar? Again, just lie to me if it doesn't. Just tell me me what I want to hear. I appreciate that. And if I'm being honest with you this morning— Uh, I find these two fears to be the least interesting of the four fears that we're going to look at in this series. Now, uh, don't get me wrong, I think these are very important for us to talk about and talk through, Uh, but I, and, and, and you know, of course, I really hope that you found this helpful, I hope that you found this to be strengthening to you, but with any kind of maturity, and as we continue to grow and develop in our walk with Jesus, we should know at least to some level this already. Right? Hopefully none of this was brand new to you. Okay, hopefully this is something that, that maybe we need to work on, maybe we need to get better at, but it wasn't a brand new idea to you. Okay, but this week's fear and next week's fear I find much more interesting. I find much more applicable and relevant to us at GCC, but I think that we needed to start with these two. That makes sense? That work? Okay, again, uh, as I mentioned to you before, In preparation for this series, I went on Facebook and I asked people to submit to me, what are the things that you're afraid of? Especially considering in the realm of, you know, church world and spirituality, what are the things that cause you fear? And I got a bunch of people that that gave me responses to this. And this fear number three is one that came up a lot, but it only came up in private messages that people sent to me directly. Because fear number three is one of the fears that we can't say out loud. 
Okay, these two, these are things that we can admit, right? I don't mind admitting to you that I fear loss. I don't mind admitting to you my fear of the unknown in the future. Uh, that's kind of stuff that rational people should have at least a little bit of anxiety at some point in their lives with this kind of stuff because we've seen other people lose it, and so we know what that looks like. Okay, we can admit to these. These are socially acceptable to admit to. Fear number three is not. This is something you don't say out loud. Okay, this is something you certainly don't bring up in church because surely everybody else has it all together and you're the only one that feels this way, right? If anything, I think that fear of loss and fear of the unknown drive people to church, but I think fear number three drives people away from church. Okay, and what we're talking about this morning is maybe the most insidious fear of all, which is the fear of self. The fear of ourselves. All right, three basic ways that I heard this talked about in my, my Facebook interviews, uh, and we will do this from the least scary to the most scary. Uh, fear number one, part of the fear of self, uh, is that I don't know enough Bible slash answers, okay, and or I don't have enough faith. Okay, now, I think it is extremely telling that among my Church of Christ sample, our fear is not that we haven't worshipped enough or helped enough poor people or said enough prayers. It's not a fear of, of not doing enough. It's an intellectual fear that we don't know enough. Okay, that says something about who we are, right? That says something about our DNA. And we're actually going to come back to that next week because I want to talk about that a whole lot more. Because that raises in me a whole new set of fears. All right? But we're afraid at some level that our understanding is insufficient. We think, we fear that we don't know enough. Okay, I see enough people nodding at me to know that this, this has struck a nerve at some level. Okay? And in thinking about this one, i got to admit that preachers are at least partly to blame. Okay, we like to make some things in the Bible more difficult than they need to be so that you know how much you need us to explain it to you. Right? We do that. Uh, also, the Bible is a big book, right? Uh, there's a whole lot to this thing. Uh, there's a lot of pages, a lot of different stories, a lot of stuff. A lot of it seems to contradict each other. A lot of things can be pretty complicated. And uh, I was talking to my dad the other day who's been preaching for over 40 years now, still preaching. He's preaching this morning, and he's still learning new things, right? Uh, you're never going to completely wrap your brain around it. It is a really big, really old book. And at the end of the day, we recognize that we could know more, we could be better students of God's Word, and yet we're not. And so what does that say about us? Okay, it points to our own inadequacies, causes us fear. Okay, and the second part of this, the I don't have enough faith part, I think is largely a product of the fact that when we come to church, we are pretty good at faking it that we have it all together, Right? Uh, we don't like to talk about our doubts or the things that we question. Okay, I think church should be the place where we can bring up our doubts, bring up our questions, bring up the things that we're struggling with. But instead, it seems to be, well, I assume everyone else at church believes X. And so if I don't, if I'm struggling with it, if I have any doubts about it, then the one place I can't talk about it's got to be at church with all these other people. They all think the same way. I'm the one person on the outside looking in. Right? And at an intellectual level, we know everybody's got doubts. We know everybody struggles with their faith at some level. And yet we tend to have that feeling that I'm the only one. Again, I'm seeing enough people nodding at me that I think I've hit something. All right? And the rest of you just won't admit it. Okay? At its core, this is a fear of self. 
Okay, in some way, I'm inadequate. I'm not good enough. I'm not even as good as the other people sitting in here around me. Okay? All right, that's number one. Fear I don't know enough or don't have enough faith. Number two uh, is a fear that I have hurt people. Okay, preacher, you don't understand the pain that I've caused other people in their lives. Right? I can live with the problems that I've caused myself. You know, sometimes I get what I deserve. I can even live with some of my own inadequacies. But there are some people that I've wounded, and I can't do anything to go back and make it right. Right now, I don't know what the specifics of this may look like for you. Uh, but again, what does this boil down to? Okay, it's a fear of my own inadequacies. It's a fear of my own failures. I'm not good enough. Again, I'm probably not as good as the people sitting in here around me. And this leads me right into the big one. This is number three. This is the one that came up a lot in my Facebook interviews um, and the one that I really want to kind of boil down on because I think it encapsulates one and two um, but hits us at an even more fearful place, and that is that I'm unforgivable. At the end of the day, I'm so inadequate. I've got so many deficiencies in myself. There's so much that's wrong with the way I'm living my life that I'm unforgivable. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. There's grace, and Jesus came preaching a good news of grace, and even a guy like Paul who killed Christians received grace, and I know that no sin is too far or too, what, too bad to put you away from God. Okay, I know all this, but grace comes through repentance, right? And what is repentance? Changing, having a new life, walking in a new way. Okay, and so the way it's supposed to work is that you live like a pagan sinner, then you hear about Jesus, and then you repent and get baptized, and then you rise up out of the watery baptism and you live a new life. Used to be a sinner, now I'm supposed to be a saint. And I did that. But what happened after I went to the part where I was supposed to start living like a saint? I kept living like a sinner. Okay, and I've repented, and I've repented, and I've repented. I've confessed lots of sins to Jesus, and over time I have, have told Jesus my sins over and over and over again. But, okay, that pride or that lust or that envy or that selfishness or pick your favorite temptation, I keep struggling with it mightily. I keep trying to live like Jesus, but I've asked for God's forgiveness so many times that there's no way that God can possibly be happy with my life. I deserve whatever punishments God might have in store for me. Okay, I put my faith in Jesus many, many years ago, but I'm still very much a sinner today, and so I don't think I've done repentance properly. Therefore, number three, I'm unforgivable. Well, I'm talking about you, not me, right? Okay. Some of y'all are looking at me like, well, then what are you doing preaching this morning? Okay. That resonate with anybody? Uh, I came across a, a quote This is that I want to share with you. This is from a 21-year-old college student at one of our Christian colleges who had been raised in a good church his whole life. This is a kid raised in the pew, right? And here's what he had to say. I thought this encapsulates this fairly well. He says, I feel like God punishes me for sins all of the time. I feel that there is always something I am being punished for. I know that is impossible because there are not enough minutes in the day for God to punish us. I probably should not call it punishment, but this is the way I feel about God's justice. I know of God's love and blessings for me, and for that I am eternally grateful and thankful. But 
I live with this fear that one mess up and I will be punished again. Okay, again, what's at the root of this fear? Okay, it's a fear of our own inadequacies. It's a fear of self. Right? I contend this morning that one of our deepest fears, one of the fears that does the most to hold us back, to keep us from living the kind of life that God wants us to live, is not a fear of anything external like loss or the future or the things that we can't control. It's the, it's the fear of ourselves. Because right? that's supposed to be the one thing I can control is me. And when that doesn't work right, now I can fear. Okay, so to get at this, uh, I want us to look at a couple passages of Scripture. The first one I want us to look at is the little letter of 1 John. This is 1 John chapter 4. We won't take the time to read the entire passage. I want to focus specifically at two verses, verses 17 and 18. John writes, This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Okay, I want you to read that phrase one more time, right? There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. All right, I think 1 John chapter 4 is one of, if not the greatest passage in all of Scripture, talking about and explaining how love works. Okay, you can keep 1 Corinthians 13. That's fine. That's a good one, too. Okay, but I think 1 John chapter 4 is even better at getting at some of the nuts and bolts of what is love and how does it work. Okay, and we don't have the, the full time to break all of this down, but here's your, your two-minute version. Okay, basically, everything that we know about God has to start with the most basic understanding that God is love. Okay, repeat that phrase, God is love. Okay, repeat it again. Okay, now mean it when you say it. Do we believe that? Okay, if we don't start there, our theology takes a left turn really quickly. Okay, the defining action of God. If you only know one thing about what God has done for the world, if you only understand one thing that God has ever done, you've only heard one Bible story, it's that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. Okay, God shows us unconditional, unending, reckless love. Okay, the first question that we have to ask if we're going to understand anything that's going on in Scripture, anything that's going on with God's plan for the world, is do we believe that God loves us? Okay, if we don't believe that God loves us, we need to go back to point number one, which is God is love. The defining characteristic of who God is is God is love. Fair enough? So, because God loved us, how do we act towards each other? And this is what we outline in the verses right above this one in 1 John 4, 17 and 18. If God really loves us, and if he has showed us his unconditional love in sending us Jesus, then how do we act towards each other? That's not a trick question, right? Okay. Uh, we love each other, right? If God loves us, then therefore I can love you, right? And how do we then act towards God? We love God. Yeah. 
this, again, this is not hard. I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to do the opposite of what I talked about earlier. I'm trying to make this, this is easy. This is not hard, okay? Um, this is the, the first part of what John is saying before he gets to verse 17 and 18. He says, God loved you, therefore you can love each other. Also, because God loved you, you then can love God. If it doesn't start with you, it's always ever started with God, right? He was able to love when we never could. Okay, so verse 17, uh, sorry, let me back up. Okay, uh, we love each other and we love God. Okay, back in verse 17, that's what he means by love being made complete and us being like Jesus in this world. Okay, he's not saying that we're ever going to do it as well as Jesus did it, right? Am I ever going to love you as well as Jesus loved you? No, yeah, don't hold your breath. That's not happening, Right? But if I am able to be loving towards my brothers and sisters in Christ, it is because Jesus loved us first, and we're doing the same kinds of things that Jesus did. Okay, I'm not doing it as well as Jesus did, but I'm doing the same things that Jesus did, and that is that we love. Okay, God loved us by sending us Jesus, and now we act like Jesus and that we love each other. Okay, that is the completion, that is the perfection of God's plan. Okay, God is love, therefore we love. So, our motivation for loving others is not that we fear what will happen if we don't. Okay, our motivation for loving each other is that God loved us first. So, back to 17 and 18. If we understand that God loves us, and if we are part of a community that is loving each other in the name of God, then how do we feel about the day of judgment? This is not rhetorical. I want you to look at the verse and answer the question. If we are part of a community that is loving each other because God loved us first, how do we feel about the day of judgment? Confident. And then verse 18, if we truly understand just how much God loves us, then what does that do to our fear? Drives it away. There is no fear when you grasp love. Okay, my one big takeaway for you this morning is this. Is that is, if you really understand just how much God loves you, you won't be afraid anymore. Okay, our fear makes no sense in the reality of God's love. All right, uh, I want you to remember the passage of Scripture we read a couple of weeks ago. This is Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. Uh, Paul makes a similar point in Romans. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also may share in his glory. Okay, so remembering that, remembering the first John passage, how do we handle our fear of ourselves and our own inadequacies and our own failures and our own not knowing enough and all the other stuff? Okay, two points. And if you're taking notes, write these down. This is really where I wanted to get this morning. Left you some space at the bottom of the bulletin to write this down. But number one is when I start to understand how much God loves me, I can't be afraid anymore. Okay? You're not unforgivable. I know that you keep messing it up. 
I know that you still struggle with temptations that you wish you'd put away a long time ago. Okay, but so long as you are a Christian and you are part of a community that very imperfectly loves each other, just like the community in 1 John that he was writing to, okay, there is no line where God is going to say, well, that's it, you messed up one too many times. Okay, if you truly understand how much God loves you, then you would know that you were never unforgivable. Okay? Now, uh, any of you as parents, you ever get frustrated when your kids keep messing stuff up that you've told them about over and over again? Absolutely, right? Uh, this morning, um, as Sam's getting ready and eating his breakfast and doing all the things he does in the morning, and I'm getting ready, and Mom's sick with the flu upstairs, and I'm telling Sam, I need you to be on your best behavior today, because today you got to do it right, because it's just me. Um, he's, he gets up to go upstairs, and he leaves his milk and cereal sitting on the table where he ate it. Right? And we've worked with him over and over and over again. We have threatened him. Um, we've told him we'll kill him if he does it again. Right? All sorts of stuff. In the most loving way possible, right? Okay, and I said, Sam, what did you forget to do? Oh, yeah, I forgot it again. Okay? Is that frustrating to me? Do I love him less because of it? Do I, would I ever say, okay, one more time, then I'm kicking you out of the family? Or do I allow him to keep messing it up over and over and over again? Now, is the reason I want him to get better at that so that he can avoid punishment? Or is the reason I want him to get better at that because that's part of his maturation process and I want it's better for him? Right? Okay, now, the part where I did almost kill him uh, is that as he goes and gets his bowl to take it to the sink, he sloshes some milk out on the table. So there's some spots of milk on the table. He's taking it to the sink. And he looks at it and I said, Sam, you need to clean that up. And he looked at me and looked me in the eyeballs and he said, you clean it up. Right? Hey, even in that, did I kick him out of the family? Did I love him less? Or did we just work on it? Right? Worked him over a little bit, but worked on it. Right? Are there consequences to your actions sometimes? Sure. But do I love my son unconditionally? Am I always going to love him? Is there ever going to be a point in which I say, well, you've messed it up too much, and now I don't love you anymore? That's not a thing. Once you're part of the family, you're part of the family. Okay? We don't have to fear getting kicked out of the family just because we continue to struggle over and over again with the same stuff. God wants us to mature because it's better for us, because he loves us, not in some way so that we can avoid the punishment that he's holding in check for us. Okay? Again, go back to point number one. How do we have confidence? Because number one, God is love. If we get that right, everything else starts to fall into place, right? All right. Number two, when I understand how imperfect all these other people are, I realize I'm not alone. Okay? Uh, I've often said that one of the things about being in ministry is that you get to know some of the worst things about the best people. Okay? Um, I guarantee you that no matter what your struggle is that you've got in your life right now, what that sin is that you keep going back to, I guarantee you that either me or one of our elders or one of our family members, one of our close family members, has gone through that exact same thing. Okay? Um, and we would love more than anything to help connect you to someone else who has been struggling with that same thing so that you can receive the encouragement and support that you need. There is absolutely nothing that you could confess to any of us where we would be like, wow, I never saw that coming. Okay? 
I guarantee you, no matter what your struggle is, you are absolutely not alone. You are absolutely not any worse than the other people sitting here in this room, uh, that we are all well wounded in trying to figure this thing out together. That makes sense? Okay. Also, uh, for those of you who are worried that you don't know enough Bible or that you don't have enough knowledge in your brain, uh, two things on that. One, uh, I would certainly always encourage you to keep studying. I want you to be a daily Bible reader. I want you to keep working on that, right? Uh, again, you're never going to get to a point where you're done and you understand it all. And number two, and this is the part that I shouldn't say. Uh, this is the secret that's just between us, okay? So don't tell anybody. Um, but even the handful of people around here who act like they know everything, they don't know half as much as they think they know, okay? I promise you. I got three degrees in this, um, and I've got a lot more questions now than I had answers when I started, right? I am never going to make it on how much I know. I will only ever make it based on how much God loves me. And I have it on really good authority that he loves me more than anything. Fair enough? All right. At this time in our worship service, we are going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, during the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. This is a time in our service where we want to be here for you as the church. We would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything that is going on in your life. We would love for you to be able to walk out of here with the confidence that you are a loved child of God and that nothing can separate you from that love of God. Um, before we sing this song, I would like to close us in a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.